Hello, listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a bi-weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. Not to brag if you live in a cooler climate, or the southern hemisphere, but where I am, summer is officially in full swing, and let me tell you, it is hot. The kind of hot that makes most humans seek bodies of water to cool off. Whether it's a lake, a pool, or the ocean, the heat of summer inevitably drives the tide of humanity back to the water, where all life began. And where much of life still makes its home. Water covers about 70% of the surface of planet Earth. Of this water, the vast majority is ocean. And this is where you'll find most aquatic species, such as sharks, dolphins, seals, which are pretty commonly known, but also species such as oarfish, a pelagic family of bony fish that can get up to 36 feet long and look like the meaner older brothers of the shrieking eels in The Princess Bride. To that point, we learn more about the ocean each day, but as of April 16, 2018, humanity has only explored about 5% of the ocean. We know more about the surface of the moon than the waters we share our planet with. Yet, across the world, Different cultures from different time periods, with different ways of living, have all agreed upon at least one thing. There are people living in the water. This week, let's learn about just some of those people, including the ancestor of the mainstream mermaid, a sister who was a true stand before stands, dugongs, and Jenny Havener, a.k.a. the weirdest hobby your ancestors probably had in the 1500s. So to start, let's go over a common explanation for the origin of mermaids, the dugong. The dugong, scientific name dugong dugon, is the only strictly herbivorous mammal to also spend its entire life in the ocean. Though they are related to the three species of manatee by the order Sirenia, the dugong is the last remaining member of a once widespread family called Dugongidae. Dugongs are similar in appearance to griffins, if a griffin were part manatee in the front and part dolphin in the back. The reason the dugong often gets cited as the inspiration for early mermaids is, as I mentioned earlier, the family used to be incredibly widespread with populations being found around China, Japan, Indonesia, Kenya, and Australia, just to name a few. For many cultures, the dugong provided an easy source of meat, oil, skin, and bones, essential tools for any civilization just starting out. Because of this usefulness, early civilizations depicted the dugongs, wrote about them, and inevitably told stories about them. In southern China, for example, the dugong was considered to be a miraculous fish, and superstition arose that it was bad luck to catch them, that the dugong brought storms and misfortune to the sailors who kept them. Similarly, in the Philippines, the creature was thought to bring bad luck, and so parts of dugongs would serve as an amulet of protection against evil, 
the logic being that bad could ward off worse. But not all the stories were about misfortune. In Kenya, the dugong was dubbed the Queen of the Sea, and parts of the dugong were used in medicine and decorations. In Thailand, the dugong's tears were considered a powerful love potion. In some parts of Indonesia, stories began to spread that dugongs were the reincarnations of women. This one in particular stuck, as the image of an ideal woman in many societies during that time period would have had extra body fat, which the dugong has in spades. From this, it's easy to see how sailors traveling from port to port throughout the Indo-West Pacific might trade stories of women they saw drifting through the water. And even if one party knew they were really talking about herbivorous sea creatures, well, as the saying goes, why let the truth get in the way of a good story? If you still aren't convinced by the dugong story, though, a compelling ancestor for the modern mermaid can also be found in Atar Geddes, a chief goddess of northern Assyria around 1000 BC. Atar Geddes, whose name may literally translate to the fish goddess Atar in Greek, was a goddess of fertility and protection in her original center of worship in Hierapolis, Syria. And in her capital of worship, she is depicted as a full anthropomorphic goddess. However, in Ashkelon, a coastal city in modern-day Israel, Atar Geddes became entangled with a goddess whose name I couldn't find. Like any good ancient god or goddess, the goddess at Ashkelon had legends told about her. And one such legend was that the goddess took a shepherd as her mortal lover. But because like most deities, she had only a very loose grasp on what the word mortal meant, she accidentally killed her lover. Ashamed and probably a little embarrassed, the goddess jumped into a lake and turned into a fish. But the waters would not conceal her divine beauty. And so, her fish form did not extend to her face. Now, originally what this meant is that this goddess, and by extension, Atargetis in Ashkelon, was depicted as a fish with a female human's head and optional human arms. And this depiction stayed. For quite some time. Only much later resolving into a goddess with a human form to the waist and a fishtail below. So, if you've ever thought... Hmm, the modern media's depiction of mermaids is just a little too human. Just remember, you're in good company. In fact, if it weren't for the god Ea in Babylonian mythology, who is depicted as exactly half-man and half-fish, we might not even have had such an evenly divided mermaid today. Alternatively, though, we might not even have had just standard half-human, half-fish mermaids if the popular image had come from, say, the Melusine, a freshwater mermaid of European folklore that sometimes has two fish tails from the waist below and is thought to be an inspiration for the Starbucks logo. Or, if the popular image had come from China, mermaids would weep pearls and be covered in fine hairs of many colors. 
or have just webbed hands and feet. In the British Isles, mermaids were often depicted as half-human, half-fish, but with the important addition that they could be monstrous in size, up to 2,000 feet, or 610 meters long. The Japanese ningyo was at the opposite end of the spectrum, being of smaller than human size, with gold scales and a monkey's mouth. Luckily, nowadays mermaids do come in many more colors, shapes, and sizes than white with red hair, but imagine what could have been. Now, we won't spend much time on this next bit, but it was too good not to include. According to a popular Greek legend, Alexander the Great's sister, Thessaloniki, not to be outdone by her brother just because his name has great in it, went and turned into a mermaid on her death. Newly aquatic, she decided to make a home in the Aegean Sea, and if sailors happened to cross her, she would greet them with one question. Is King Alexander alive? Some people say there are no wrong answers. And if they were sailors, these people would be dead. Because the correct answer to this question was, he lives and reigns and conquers the world. If you gave this answer, Thessaloniki would calm the waters and bid the ship farewell and safe passage. If you gave any other answer, she would stir up a terrible storm and doom every sailor on board the ship. So, if you're ever in the Aegean, remember, King Alexander, definitely still alive, doing great, the Greek Empire is for sure still a thing. Of course, some people didn't have the time or money to go to the Aegean Sea, but still wanted to see a mermaid. For these people, the 1500s offered a unique solution. Enter the Jenny Hanover, the weirdest taxidermy that your ancestors probably really enjoyed. A Jenny Hanover is, in its essence, the modified corpse of a skate or a ray. If you've ever seen the underside of a skate or a ray, you'll know that it essentially looks like a human soul got trapped in a pancake. People in the 1500s also saw this similarity, and so for the enterprising business person of the 1500s, a ray corpse, modified by hand and then dried, could be made to look humanoid in shape, and sold as a demon, a dragon, or a mermaid. People in the 1500s, especially those with no access to skates or rays, generally believed they had been sold the real item, and it wasn't until about 1558 that people began to catch on that perhaps this tiny, dried-up husk was not the half-human creature they had been led to believe. You would think that this would be the end of people trying to sell dried corpses as mermaids, but of course you would be wrong. After the inevitable decline of Jenny Hanover's, in 1822, a sea captain purchased the body of a mermaid for $6,000, or about $122,000, accounting for modern inflation. This corpse was displayed in London in 1822, and after the captain's death in 1842, the mermaid was sold to Moses Kimball of the Boston Museum of Boston, Massachusetts. 
Kimball showed the mermaid to his acquaintance P.T. Barnum. And that's the story of how the Fiji mermaid, the sewn-together corpse of a monkey and a fish, managed to fool people for a good at least 20 years. So why do people want to believe so badly in mermaids? Well, some people think it's because humanity itself has aquatic origins. In fact, as early as 546 BC, Malaysian philosopher Anaximander put forward that humanity had sprung from an aquatic animal species. He thought that humans, who began life with such a long period of infancy, could not have survived if they had started as terrestrial animals. This theory is the precursor to a modern theory known as the aquatic ape hypothesis, which posits that due to characteristics such as a mostly hairless body and bipedalism, that early humanity was more aquatic than terrestrial, and thus evolved adaptations suited to swimming, diving, and wading. If this theory were to be believed, it wouldn't be a ridiculous stretch of the imagination that the pendulum could swing both ways, with this mostly aquatic early humanity dividing into two subspecies, one of terrestrial humans and one of aquatic humans. In the modern age, there are even people who in their spare time put on elaborately designed monofins and swim around in the ocean or lakes looking for all the world like an authentic mermaid, simply for the pure fun of mermaiding. I think mostly, though, that people like to believe in mermaids for the same reason we like to believe in werewolves. A mermaid is a reflection of humanity, looking at itself, and knowing that it is both an animal and not. Both an aquatic creature that swims for the joy of it, and a conscious being that is at all times aware of its own fragile mortality. And, like mermaids themselves, the beauty of belief lies in that duality. That's it this week for our friends with fins. If you liked this episode, dive down into the show notes for more. Intro and outro music were done by aquatic ape Scott Ethington. Listen to more songs you can hear better underwater at Bazooka Raccoon on SoundCloud.com. Finally, if you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster. <laughs>